Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Matt Weaver with Bible Truth Project, and today we're going to have an interesting discussion with Aaron Lipkin, who lives in Israel. He is a Orthodox Jew, I believe, and um, he does a lot of research. He's a scholar. He does a lot of photography and video things. If you want to check him out on Facebook, etc., from time to time, he posts some of that work, which is really interesting and fascinating. But what is what is interesting to me about some of, uh, of his work and some of the things he's been posting is his relationship to Adam Zertal and the um, archaeology that Adam was involved with, which is the uh, an altar site on Mount Ebal, as well as some of the just general archaeology of the region um, in general. So anyway, thank you, Aaron, for agreeing to do this. This is a joy for me to talk to somebody from Israel. It's the first time that I've had uh, somebody from Israel and I'd love, I'd love to do many, many more, but uh, I know you're excited about the Bible and excited about archaeology, and uh, this is this is going to be a tremendous treat for us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. It's, it's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, it's always a, 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 um, a pleasure to speak about Bible and archaeology, which are my most favorite topics. And, uh, you know, as you know, you know, archaeology is the science of the past yep. um, and then you know every, every day that passes every week that passes uh we have more and more discoveries here in israel yep. and so it's fun it's funny that the science of the past is always renewing there's always new yep. things happening in news and so uh you know it's it's definitely not just the science of the past <laughs> absolutely and the more and the more stuff that gets found in israel and, and, and you know from a western perspective i think we underestimate how much stuff is there like in the experiences that i've had over there you could literally spend the next probably 100 to 200 years and still find new archaeological evidence for uh of, of ancient israel biblical sites i mean this stuff is all over the land and it takes a tremendous amount of resources and work to dig this stuff up but it's really exciting Definitely. in the day and age that we live in that we can see this truth come out which proves that the, the bible account biblical account is true the biblical account is reliable and um in a in a world of skepticism the evidence for god is growing not diminishing right amen and uh, you know when when you travel around israel um, you know, when I, I live in uh, Samaria, in the biblical heartland of Israel, where, where all the stories happen. Yep. And every time I travel from my home to Jerusalem or to Tel Aviv, and I just, you know, I, I drive and I, I pass through these hills on the right and the left, I, I see archaeological tells all the time. I mean, yep. they're just sitting there waiting to be excavated and most chances they won't be because yeah. like you say you know this there's so much archaeology in israel and everywhere you're looking there is there is something that happened in the last three thousand four thousand years uh that's worth excavating and you know sometimes i think to myself what are we missing i mean you know maybe on on that hill that i just passed there is some sort of a tablet or writing that would, you know, totally change our whole perspective of of of, of the Bible and archaeology, you know, and and you know, we we won't we won't get there because there's so much to excavate. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess, I mean, this is an open discussion as far as what we do. I know at some point we want to talk about, um, I'd, I'd love to hear about the altar site and also the whole Gilgal thing. I know you've, you've touched bases with some videos that you've been talking about that. Um, I guess you can lead into whatever you want to talk about at this point. And if I have questions, I'll just shout them out and we'll go back and forth and yeah, see where it leads. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll give a short testimony from my life. Okay. Uh, I was born and raised in Jerusalem to a traditional Jewish family, which means that we believed in God, we believed in the Bible uh, and the Hebrew scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, because uh, we were traditional, it meant that we weren't so observant of the laws. And so, you know, we would, uh, we would uh, barbecue on the Sabbath or... Uh, uh, you know, watch TV and, and take hikes and, and you, know, you know, do things on the Sabbath. We wouldn't keep uh, the um, dietary laws uh, so strictly. So I would eat in restaurants that weren't kosher, but I would eat, I would try to eat things that are kosher. So that's kind of like what it means to be a traditional Jew. Uh, and I always also remember myself uh, always loving the Bible reading uh, the biblical stories. I had a series that my parents bought me, a series of books with, that are illustrated with, uh, you know, the, the, the figures in the Bible. And I saw Moses and I saw Solomon and Ezekiel. And, and I, I remember reading them, you know, again and again and again. I really loved them. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, things changed when I got to high school. Uh, we learn Bible in schools in Israel. Um, it's part of the curriculum, and also secular schools learn Bible. Uh, the problem is that in high school, the version of teaching of the Bible is uh, the criticism of the Bible. So I, I remember uh, going into my Bible school, my Bible class at school in high school, and our teacher uh, stood in front of us and, and said that we're going to learn the book of Genesis. And I was very happy, and I love Genesis. And then she started, started saying things that I've never heard before. She said that the book of Genesis, the, 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 you know, the first um, chapters, are a, a mythology. That all the stories that are mentioned in the book of Genesis are um, actually Assyrian and Babylonian myths. And um, that at a certain point, the Israelites took those myths and manipulated them to fit a monotheistic theology. And, and you know, for me as a, as a Jewish boy who believed in God, believed in the Bible, this was not what I was expecting, especially not in a Jewish school in Jerusalem, yeah. in Israel. Yeah. Um, and, you know, later on when I served, when I, when I, um, when I was a student in the Hebrew University, I had a uh, friend who learned archaeology, and she came to me one day and she said, Aaron, I see that you're religious. Uh, I just wanted you to know that the Exodus never happened. Moses and Joshua never existed. And that's what we're being taught in archaeology, in Hebrew University, in yep. Jerusalem, wow. in Israel. Yep. This was in the, 19, the late 1990s. So... Uh, you know, what we see from this is that, that the, the mainstream view in the academic world has been 
uh, at least in the past, since the 1960s and 70s, has been that the Bible is actually a fairy tale. It's a mythology. The stories there are either never either never happened or are very inaccurate. And uh, that everything was just invented during the time of King Josiah in the uh, eighth in the eighth century BCE, um, and uh, nothing of it really happened. Uh, the the more you go back to the times of Joshua and the judges, Moses and the patriarchs, the more the credibility of the historic description uh, fades away. So um, you know that was that was basically the situation and. Um, you know, I went on with my uh, life uh, in tourism and uh, in education, Jewish education, and I was involved with uh, Birthright. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Birthright, uh, but it's a very big project in Israel, an educational project. Okay. To basically give a 10-day um, present from the Jewish people to young Jews living all over the world to come for 10 days to Israel. So I've been work. I've, I was working in that project from 1999 till, um, let's say, 2009 or 2010. And um, I was living then in, in in Samaria, in the biblical heartland of Israel, and it really bothered me that Birthright, as an edu Jewish educational organization, is not bringing Jewish youth uh, into Judea and Samaria. Now, the reason for that was that, uh, as many of our listeners know, Judea and Samaria is also called the West Bank, the occupied territories, depending on who's talking about it. Yep. Um, but <laughs> in, in the eyes of, of, of many people, uh, Judea and Samaria are a, an area that's disputed. And so Birthright didn't want to go into that, uh, didn't want to handle that hot potato. So uh, they just didn't go in. And by doing that, they really, you know, the Jewish students that came here and their tens of thousands missed out on an area that really is the foundation of Jewish identity, yep. of the Israelite identity. Um, in 2007, I remember walking in the streets of Jerusalem and uh, during, during my walk, I saw an advertisement about a lecture that's going to be given by Professor of Archaeology Adam Zertal about Joshua's altar. Now, for me, that was a big surprise because how, uh, how, how is it that a professor of archaeology from the Haifa University is going to justify a historic event that's described in the Bible? I mean, that's not what I heard. I understood that the academic world doesn't justify, doesn't see the Bible as a histori valid historical document. Um, and so I, I said to myself, I have to go and listen to this lecture, and I did. And uh, I was really surprised because, you know, as someone who was working a lot in history and archaeology and, and uh, education, Jewish education, I've never visited Joshua's altar. I, was, I never visited Mount Eval. And uh, that lecture was, was just astounding. I mean, for the first time in my life, um, I saw a monument that's, that's described in the Bible, a, a, a real monument uh, that hasn't been damaged for thousands of years, and it's still there. 
But that wasn't the only thing that amazed me. The other thing that amazed me is that Professor Adams Rital, who was brought up in a secular atheist uh, kibbutz in Israel, a community, a, an atheist socialist community in Israel, um, that was brought up uh, and educated in the Tel Aviv University. That's where he learned archaeology. And that's where the minimalist school that claims that the Bible is not historical, that's where they dwell. So he was taught not to believe in the Bible. And so this guy, out of all the, the people that God could have chose, uh, chosen for this, this uh, mission, um, God chose an atheist professor to find a major biblical monument, uh, which eventually changed his mind, totally changed his mind about the historicity of the Bible and, the, and especially the stories in the books of Joshua and the Judges. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. That, um, so basically, I mean, I mean, of course, I'm a, I'm a, I believe in the Bible and I believe in the stories and I believe there's plenty of evidence for that. I mean, my experience, of course, I've not lived in Israel like you, but my experience is that it's what 75% secular as a whole, uh, something like that. 25% would believe in scripture and 75% kind of wouldn't. But the, but, the, the, the Israeli population? Yeah. Well, if, if you take the Jewish population, I would say that uh, the atheist non-believing uh, percentage is maybe 10 to 15 percent. Uh, okay. The majority of Jews in Israel uh, are either traditional or religious, which means they believe in God and they believe in the Bible. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, in, in the I remember as a kid uh, going to a secular school, uh, most of my friends were atheists. They weren't believers. And today, you barely find atheists. I mean, everybody is either traditional or religious. And one of the reasons is that there is a spiritual revival in Israel, has been in the last few decades, uh, and especially in the last 20 years. So, um, you know, definitely it's going in a, in a good direction. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, so the evidence i guess we can get into the altar site um you had you had mentioned you want to do some powerpoint or whatever just let me know or you can share the screen however you want to do that um but getting into the altar site so that's you know for some people who may not know what we're talking about we're talking about um basically modern day uh Nablus, um kind of sits nestled in between these two mountains gerizim to the south ebal to the north and this site is located on the top of Ebal, and it was within what was a military base at one point. Is that correct? Or is it still a military uh, there base? Is, there, there, there's still a military base, Israeli military base, on top of Mount Ebal. Uh, the altar itself, however, is not there. It's not on the summit of the mountain. It's actually on the slopes. Okay. Uh, the north northeastern slopes of Mount Eval, which is actually a big surprise because, you know, one of the reasons why you have this minimalist view uh, that doesn't believe in the historicity of the Bible is actually because of Christian archaeologists 
mm. that came here in the uh, 19th and 20th century. And what happened was, you know, when, when they read in London or in, in Paris, when they read about the ceremony of the blessings and the curses that's, discussed, that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 11 and Deuteronomy 27 and in Joshua 8, when they read that, uh, what the, the first mistake they did was to visualize the ceremony in their head. In other words, when they came to Israel to look for the altar that they believed Joshua built, um, they came with a preconception. And what happened eventually was that they looked in the wrong place. They looked at where they thought the altar should be. And in their uh, diaries, they write that they haven't found it. And in the 1960s, when you have this minimalist school that denies the Bible, uh, they said, of course, you didn't find it because it never happened. So they actually used the testimonies of the Christian archaeologists uh, as, as a way to prove that the Bible never happened. Uh, and so, you know, the minimalist school basically says, we're going to disregard the Bible to begin with. We're not going to even consider the Jewish sources because they all um, they all depend on they all come from a big lie basically um, and you know the, the, the great thing about Adams Rital is that he did not come with preconceptions I mean the whole thing started out basically because Israel uh, liberated Judea and Samaria in 1967 uh, you have to remember that for 19 years Judea and Samaria were under Jordanian control. Yep. Uh, there were a, there were a couple of excavations done in in that area, uh, but there was really never a a thorough mapping, archaeological mapping or surveying of Judea and Samaria ever. In other words, if you were an archaeologist in 1966 and you wanted to get an archaeological map. Of Judea and Samaria, there wasn't one to be found. Um, in 1967, when Israel liberated Judea and Samaria, that was the first time that Israeli archaeologists actually had the opportunity or the possibility to do a thorough survey of this uncharted area. And Adam Zertal and his crew were assigned to the Jordan Valley and uh, Samaria, the, the area of the tribe of Manasseh. Mm -hmm. And and again, Adam Zertal and his crew were not doing it to find the altar or to prove the invasion of the Israelites uh, in the Iron Age. That wasn't their intent. Their intent was just to survey, to map. Whatever they found, uh, whatever clay or walls or whatever they found, they dated and, and just wrote on a map. And because they came with no preconceptions, when Adam Zertal is walking on Mount Eval in 1980, surveying the mountain, just simply surveying it, uh, he wasn't looking for the altar. He, he wasn't saying the altar should be here or it should be there. He just walked with his crew and they bumped into what, what basically changed his life. Hmm. Um, what they saw was, uh, first of all, they saw an ancient wall uh, with a very peculiar shape to it um, that which kind of reminds you of a kidney or a foot um, a, a footprint 
And this is actually one of uh, six that his crew found eventually uh, in the area of Samaria. Um, and as he, as he went into the compound, uh, he saw a rubble of a, a, a rubble of stone, just this pile of stone. Uh, and all around was Iron Age one pottery, Iron Age one ceramics. And uh, that really made him um, very curious. And he decided that he wanted to excavate. Uh, it took two years, but in 1982, Adams Rital and his crew came there and they started excavating and they they excavated there from 1982 till 1989. <laughs> and the, what they did was very simple. Uh, the crew just came to this pile of stone and they peeled off the outer layer that was covering this pile of stone. Let's call it uh, um, the uh, first level for mm -hmm. for. For, for, for the sake of this uh, interview. And after they, they took the, the first layer out, a, a stone a structure emerged from this pile of stone. Now, this, this, uh, this structure, just to very simplify it, was a, a, a high ground, a square cubicle high ground uh, with a ramp going up to it uh, and two service ramps on both sides of the major ramp that accompany the major ramp and then go around the cubicle. Uh, the cubicle itself was sealed. Um, and uh, uh, during the excavation, they opened that seal. And what they found there was amazing. They found around two meters of bones and ashes. Um, oh, the, okay. The, 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 you know, the, the cubicle didn't have an entrance. It wasn't a house or a room. Uh, it was just this cubicle that was filled with uh, bones and ashes, which actually kept it uh, intact. Uh, that was the filling of the, the structure. Uh, Adams Rital sent the bones uh, to be uh, analyzed in the Hebrew University, and the results were very, very interesting. Um, they were all animals that are mentioned as uh, pure animals in the Bible, hmm. meaning there were goats, uh, yep. sheep, um, uh, cows, deer. Um, none of the animals were unpure animals. Uh, you didn't find any pig bones or horse bones or donkey bones, um, which is really one of the you know, biggest um, characteristics of an Israelite site. Uh, when you excavate a Philistine site or a Canaanite site, there will, there's always like a 30% or 20% uh, pig bones or horse bones or donkey bones. When you excavate an Israelite site, um, you don't find these bones in the assemblage of the, the bones. Um, another interesting thing about the bones is that they were all only male. Yep. And they were only, then they were all young, young mm -hmm. animals. Yep. Uh, again, if you look in the Bible, this doesn't surprise you. This right. is God's commandment. When you sacrifice, it has to be male. It has to be at, uh, until one year old. Uh, it has to be a, cer a certain list of animals. You can't just sacrifice any animal. Um, but, you know, Adam Zertal is receiving this information, and he's not really... Uh, happy about uh, the fact that it might 
be justifying the biblical narrative. Uh, other things that Adam Zertal found were uh, Egyptian earrings. He, he found um, 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 pottery, like handles of colored rim jars that were marked uh, with a special marking that doesn't appear anywhere but in cultic air, air, cultic places like the footprints or the or Shiloh. Mm -hmm. um, he also found vessels with um, uh, offerings, uh, veg vegetation offerings. He found a dye, which is like this cube that you throw, like in Las Vegas when you can when you gamble. He found one of yeah. these cubes. Um, wow. that might might have been used in you know you know when we read about uh, Yom Kippur the day mm -hmm. of atonement we know that there is a certain lottery that goes on there to choose between yep. the scapegoat and and yep. and so you know that definitely that's something that's part of of the Israelite cultic behavior um by the way is it okay if I use the word cultic that's the sure. archaeological yeah. Nope. definition i know that i mean i'm familiar with like... it i mean it's viewers i mean if you explain it it's fine basically it just means it's like a sacrificial site or a religious site yeah exactly exactly um another thing that really ama was amazing is that they found pieces of plaster uh when we read uh the chapters in in deuteronomy um in 11 and 27 uh especially 27 the plaster is a very integral part of the altar. Uh, it's, uh, the plaster is being put on the field stones of the altar. Uh, the, the, the Bible, parts of the Bible are written on that plaster. Hmm. So it's definitely a major part of the story of the altar. Again, Adam Zertal finds these huge pieces of plaster. Um, and... Uh, Another th another thing that they find, and, and you know, we, we spoke about the first layer of stones that cover yep. the major structure. Uh, the major structure is actually the second level, and the first level is a round circular circular altar that is in the center of the cubical high ground that I mentioned. And um, uh, Adam Zertal believed that uh, that. Because he believed that this this was a cultic uh, site, he believed that the circular altar is the founding altar. In other words, when the ancients came to that spot, they first built the circular altar, sacrificed on it to sanctify the area. Afterwards, they built the altar, the big altar, the big mm. structure. Yep. The first level that was covering the structure. Uh, Adam Zertal writes in his book, A Nation Born, seemed to have been put there intentionally. Um, for some reason, the ancients that built the structure uh, wanted to stop using it, and they covered it intentionally with field stones, which for us, luckily, was very good because it actually kept the structure intact. The bones and the ashes kept it intact from the inside, and the outer layer of stones kept it intact from the outside. Mm. Uh, so this is definitely, definitely some a great thing that that they've done. I don't think that they 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 thought that Israelites would find it again after three thousand years, 
but uh, but that was definitely something that helped. Uh, the site is a one-layer site. In other words, it was used only once in a certain period of time. It was dec decommissioned and was left to stay there for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. um, this is, again, something that is not, it's very unique because usually archaeologists work in archaeological tells, which are basically layers and layers of civilizations building one on top of the other. And so there's a big salad. You always find many, many historic um, uh, periods and many, many civilizations. Here we're talking about a one layer, one civilization uh, structure. Now, Adam Zertal, um, you know, he's excavating there and he's saying to himself, I don't know what this is. Um, and what archaeologists usually do when they find something that has no, they, they, they know what it is, is they go to libraries, they open books, they start reading about uh, structures from other periods of time and other civilizations. Um, and Adam Zertal looked at, at Assyrian and Babylonian and Egyptian uh, structures, and he couldn't find anything that resembled the structure he found on Mount Eval. And uh, one night he is sitting at the dining hall of the Chavez Shamron community near Mount Eval, where his team um, was uh, staying overnight. And he, uh, he he basically sketched the picture of the the this structure that he found. And uh, a, an Orthodox Jew passed, passes by and he sees this, this uh, sketch and he says, Professor, is this what you found on Mount Eval? And Professor Zertal is looking at him and says, yes, that's what I found. I don't know what it is. I looked everywhere. Assyrian, Babylonian, Egyptian, couldn't find anything. And then he sees this Orthodox Jew suddenly all flared up, uh, all excited, and he runs away. And, uh, you know, Adam Zertal is looking, he does, doesn't, know, doesn't know exactly what's going on. And this Jew comes back with a book, a Jewish book from the Jewish sources, from the Mishnah, which is the oral uh, traditions, the rabbinical oral traditions. Uh, this book was written uh, after the destruction of the Second Temple around the year 300, 400 uh, uh, AD. And uh, he's, he's holding a book that is uh, describing the um, structures and the vessels that were in the Second Temple period. This is during the time of Jesus. Um, and he opens, a, he opens the book on a certain page, and that page describes the central altar of the Second Temple uh, the second temple, and Adam Zertal is looking at his sketch, and he's looking at the the book, this Jewish book, with the picture of the altar uh, in the second temple, and he sees a striking resemblance between those two structures. Hmm. And you know, suddenly his whole world collapses. You know, he looks at this Orthodox Jew, and he tells him, "This is." This, this structure I found on Mount Eval is an Israelite altar. And if this is an Israelite altar, 
it has to be Joshua's altar. And if this is Joshua's altar, then Joshua existed, and Moses existed, and the Exodus happened. And the Orthodox Jew looks at him and says, of course, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> but for, for Adam Zertal, who um, was educated not to believe in God, was educated in university not to believe that Moses, Joshua, and the Exodus uh, existed, that was a big revelation. And uh, he describes in his book, A Nation Born, how uh, they don't sleep for, for a, a couple of nights. Uh, the volunteers from all over the world that participated in the excavation were partying every night because of this amazing discovery. And, uh, you know, there is a, there, the, the, I remember, you know, the, there was a big smile on Adam Zertel's face every time uh, he lectured about this, uh, this specific moment. Uh, but from that point on, his smile disappeared. And usually he had this sadness that fell on him. Uh, and the reason why he was so saddened was because um, he really, he truly believed in the academic world. He truly believed mm. that the academic world was objective, scientific, um, and uh, I would say flexible enough to change its views uh, in, in light of new evidence. And uh, what happened was actually, they, they didn't even attack him or, or try to uh, counter his, uh, his discovery or, or his interpretation of the discovery. Uh, what Adams Rattal encountered was just silence, mm -hmm. utter silence. Um, and, um, you know, just, they, they just ignored this discovery. Hmm. And I believe that Adams Rutal was very, very disappointed uh, from the academic world. Um, but uh, nonetheless, he, he kept on, uh, um, you know, researching Israel, finding new uh, discoveries, not just from the Iron Age period or the Israelite period, but also from other periods. Uh, and, you know, that would, that would definitely lead us to the other important discoveries that Adams Rattel made. Um, by the way, I can, I can continue blabbering on unless you want to ask a question. No, I'm, I love it. Keep going. <laughs> I can go on? Okay. No, it's absolutely, it's awesome stuff. So, well, I've never heard like some of the backstory. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm familiar, I'm familiar with the basic, uh, the basic, you know, the altar and all that stuff, but there's a lot of information that you shared there that I hadn't heard before. So no, it's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. So I, I would, I will continue with the, uh, the other, um, discoveries that Zertal made. Um, one of the things that, uh, the, you know, when we go back to the Christian archaeologists that couldn't find what they were looking for, uh, another thing that they were looking for was evidence of the Israelite invasion into Canaan, uh, according to what's described in the book of Joshua, uh, the invasion into Canaan, the conquest of Jericho and Ai. Um, this specific um, event, this specific time frame, was, uh, was researched by a couple of archeologists. And unfortunately there was no evidence for a major invasion of the land of Israel 
in the area of Jericho. So again, you know, comes this minimalist school in the 1960s that claims that, of course, you couldn't find um, uh, evidence for an invasion because it never happened. It's not surprising. Um, and, and again, you have this 1967 liberation of Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley. And Adam Zertal's crew is mapping the Jordan Valley, and they're mapping Jer the area of Jericho. And you know, as 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 we we just mentioned, there's no evidence of a crossing and and of hundreds of thousands of people, you know, settling in that area for any any uh, period of time. However, as they continue mapping the Jordan Valley northward. Uh, towards the uh, area called the Jabok Pass or the Adam Bridge, um, they encounter plenty of evidence for an invasion. Um, let's just say what they found. As they mapped that area that I'm talking about, they discovered um, semi-nomadic camps in the Iron Age one period. We're talking about the year 12, around the, the year 1250. And uh, the reason why that's surprising is because when you go to the earlier time, uh, the late Bronze Age, which is be before the year 1250, there is virtually no, there are virtually no settlements in the Jordan Valley. Mm. This area is a desert. It's nope. unhospitable. Nobody's living there. So what we're what what the archaeology is basically telling us is that at the late Bronze Age, the place is empty. There's nothing there. Comes the early Iron Age, and suddenly there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, semi-nomadic camps that just appear from nowhere. In other words. We have the Jordan Valley on one side, the Jordan River on one side. On the other side, we have the West Bank of the Jordan River, the mountains of Samaria. There's no, um, no evidence of any population invading the Jordan Valley from the West. So the conclusion is very simple. These people came from the East they invaded, they were semi-nomadic. Um, that's what we know about them. But you know, when we when we open the Bible eventually and we read it, there's a very clear explanation to this sudden appearance of this population, this semi-nomadic uh, sheep herding population in the early Iron Age. These are the Israelites. Um, and you know, so, so suddenly you have this dynamic where uh, it's not like you read the Bible in Paris and London and then go to look for the evidence in the land of Israel, like the Christian archaeologists did in the 19th and 20th century. It's not the minimalist school that claims that the Bible is a fairy tale, should be disregarded and not learned from, from or looked at. We're talking about a new school of thought that combines the two. In other words, you go as a minimalist, yep. you document, you map, 
You, you say what you found. And then in order to understand what you found, you open the Bible and you read it. And then after you read it and you read the Bible, you go back to the, the field and, and to better understand what you found. And uh, what I'm going to share with you right now is very exciting. Uh, I always thought that, you know, the miracle of the Jordan River um, happened in Jericho. In other words, the water stopped in the area of Jericho, allowing the Israelites to cross. Yeah. Uh, but when you read the Bible, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the water stopped at the Jabok Pass. It, it stopped at the Adam Bridge. Yeah. So suddenly what, what you understand from, from this is that there was no water in the Jordan River from the Adam Bridge all the way down to the Dead Sea. The Israelites could have crossed anywhere in that, in that range. Yeah. And, and so what we learned from the archaeology is that the, 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 I would say the majority of the Israelites, or maybe should we say the civilians, the men, the children, the, 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 the elders, uh, crossed in the Adam Bridge area. What Joshua is describing in the book of Joshua is the military conquest. What he's describing is the military invasion of uh, Canaan, uh, which, which means soldiers that just go in, camp for the night, and continue mm. their conquest. There's, you, you can't expect a military, uh, a, a, a military force to leave uh, archaeological evidence for thousands of years. Right. You would expect the civilians who are coming into Canaan to settle in an area for at least a few months uh, and establish you know, these semi-nomadic camps. So, you know, again, we're reading the Bible, we're seeing the archaeology, and it really brings new light uh, to the biblical story because the Bible doesn't describe um, the civilians. The story of Joshua describes the military operations of the Israelites in Canaan, the conquest of the land. Um, and, you know, I, I always... When I talk to people, I always, I, always, I always say the historic events in the Bible are true. They really happened. But the Bible is not a history book. The Bible is a book of faith that describes historic events. Yep. A, a book of history, let's say a book of history that describes World War II, right. would describe all the events of World War II um, all over the world, in Japan, in Europe, in Africa, uh, it would it would give it would also give the uh, the effect on the civilian population. That's a history book. It tries to give a complete picture of the the history at a certain period of time. The Bible is a book of faith that wants to relay a message and describes historical events that are relevant. To that message um you know just to give another example king josiah uh, dies in the hands of pharaoh um, but it doesn't say anywhere in the bible why pharaoh came into the land of israel in the first place 
Now, you know, thanks to, to um, um, Steelers uh, in Babylon and in Assyria, we understand that Pharaoh came into the land to fight the Babylonians, uh, to join with the Assyrians against the Babylonians. This was a world war in, 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 that, in, in that time. Yeah. The Bible doesn't say anything about this war. What's, what interests the Bible is the death of King Josiah by Pharaoh. Hmm. So, so in other words, again, the Bible is not a book of history. Um, and so if we want to learn history, um, we have to use archaeology to complete the picture as much as possible. So sometimes it's, you know, stelas from Egypt and from, from Moab and from, from um, Aram in the north, from the, from the Hittite Empire, that would complete that information for us. Um, but sometimes it's just semi-nomadic camps that suddenly appear in the Jordan Valley in the area of the Adam Bridge. Um, so, so in other words, what I'm basically trying to say is the invasion happened. <laughs> the yeah. conquest happened and there yeah. is clear archaeological evidence to prove not just the invasion, but also the movement from east to west, from the Jordan Valley into the highlands of Samaria and Judea, and later on into the plains uh, of, uh, of the coastal plains. Uh, so that was definitely another important uh, and discovery that's dis disregarded by many, many yeah. people. Uh, and I highly recommend uh, our viewers, uh, if they're really into archaeology, to purchase the uh, survey volumes of the Manasseh Hill Country Survey. I actually have a few here. Let me just show them. So here are just a few, a few of the, uh, the volumes of the survey. I don't think you can see them very well. There we um, go. Okay. This is yeah. Manasseh Hill Country Survey. Um, this is meticulous work that was done for, for many years by uh, people who really care about archaeology. And uh, when you read them, you really find compelling truth to the biblical stories. Um, and so that was the, I would say, the second important discovery of Zertal and his crew um, concerning the, the time of Joshua and the judges. And the last but not least is, I would say, the, uh, the cherry on the cream, as we say in, in Hebrew, uh, and that is the discovery of the uh, footprint structures. Uh, so we just, you know, we just mentioned the discovery of the semi-nomadic camps that were uh, suddenly appeared in the Jordan Valley. Uh, they were very simple. They were these round uh, circular structures of stone, uh, about uh, sometimes four to five or six meter in diameter. Uh, which were actually sheep cages. Uh, this, this is where the, the Israelites kept their uh, livestock, and they would build the tents around the stone uh, cage. Um, so eventually they took off, you know, they, they, they dismantled the tents. Now what was left was these circular stones structure. Um, and so, as I mentioned before, they, they, they found many of those, but what they also found was uh, these really huge 
monumental structures uh, that were built by the same semi-nomadic civilization. Uh, and they were, they were so huge. I mean, they were like, like a, a, the size of a football um, a stadium, that big. And the, the shape of the, the structure resembles a footprint uh, or, or, or a, an oval shape um, that Adam Zertal and his crew didn't really understand in the beginning. Um, let's talk a bit about these, uh, these uh, monuments. First of all, as I said, they have a certain uh, structure. They have a certain outline. This outline is not um, de dependent on the geography. In other words, our viewers can imagine a flat area uh, where you could build a structure, uh, you know, in a square shape or a, a rectangular shape. The people that built this structure chose to do it in a certain oval shape that resembles a footprint really no reason no no altitudes or anything that would force them to do it that way so when adams Rital and his crew find these structures they understand that the structures outline has an importance there's a certain reason why the ancients that built it invested so much energy to build it in a certain shape the second thing that you find in, in those, with those structures is a natural amphitheater. Uh, you know, everybody says that the Greeks invented the theaters. Well, I have news for you. It was actually the Israelites. Um, the, the footprints are adjacent to uh, slopes of mountains, which would allow uh, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands, to sit comfortably and watch the, um, the events going on inside the footprint structure. Uh, another, th another, another interesting thing is that out of the six footprint structures, um, I would say that four have amphitheaters that face a certain direction. And that direction is the Jabok Pass. Now let's let's just uh, recount what happened in the Jabok Pass, um, as we all remember from the Book of Genesis. Jacob returns from Lavan, his uncle, and um, he, he he makes his uh, family pass the Jordan River, and he stays there alone. And he, at night, an angel comes and struggles with him. There's a big uh, struggle, and at the end of that struggle. Uh, Jacob is called Israel. So, you know, we're, 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 for some reason, the Israelites, when they're sitting on the slopes of those mountains, are facing that area. They're facing the place where Jacob was named Israel. The, the uh, footprint structures themselves, <laughs> some of them are the, have inner divisions. Uh, they, some of them have a bama, which is a cultic uh, high ground, um, or an, something, some call it an altar. Um, and uh, some of the footprint structures have um, what's called a procession road, which allows the Israelites or whoever 
use them to walk around the the uh, structure uh, in a, in a, in a spiritual way, an occultic way. So um, you know, Adam Zertal is is finding this, and you know, he's trying to make sense of what he found, and um, he understands that this site is a cultic site. It's a it's a it's a place of worship. Uh, and one of the reasons why he gets to this um, conclusion is because of Joshua's altar. Uh, Joshua's altar is located inside one of those footprint structures. Again, adjacent to a natural amphitheater mm -hmm. um, uh, facing Jabok Pass. So this, these footprint structures that were built by the Israelites because of Joshua's altar, is understood to be a cultic site. And because they were so monumental and humongous, Adam Zertal believed that he could find some sort of evidence in the Bible that speaks about these cultic sites. So he starts reading the Bible, looking for a cultic site, you know, anything that, that would give him more information on these monumental sites. And what he sees is really interesting. He sees that the Israelites are using a place called Gilgal. Now, again, you know, just like we asked, I asked you, where, where did the Israelites cross? Uh, we all thought it was only Jericho, but now we understand that they could have crossed anywhere between Jericho and Adam. Mm -hmm. um, if you asked me, uh, what is Gilgal? then I will tell you, well, Gilgal is a, a camp uh, in uh, near Jericho where the Israelites camped and circumcised and that it's a name of a place. Gilgal is a name of a place. But Adam Zertal, reading the Bible, uh, saw that Gilgal is not a name of a place because Gilgal appears in several places. Uh, it appears in Jericho. It appears at uh, Elon More near Shechem uh, in Deuteronomy 11. It also appears uh, in the, uh, the, the border between the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin near the town of Male Adumim. This is in Joshua describing the border between Judah and Benjamin. In other words, Gilgal is not a name of a place. Adam Zertal believed that Gilgal is a name of a function. And the function is cultic, because when the Israelites go to Gilgal, they go to sacrifice, they go to pray, they go to worship, they go to crown kings. Uh, it's it's a, a semi-spiritual military camp. And uh, Gilgal literally means a... A, uh, a, a fence of stones. Mm. So this actually also fits the uh, discovery of a footprint structure, which is an oval-shaped stone structure. By the way, the stones are very uh, low. They're, they're about a feet high or maybe two feet high. It's really not something impressive. Uh, but when you fly a drone above those footprint structures, then you get the idea. Uh, you see these amazing monumental uh, structures 
that, that you had to invest a lot of energy. This is not, you know, something a small child built. This is, and this is something that was built by a tribe or by a nation, uh, especially the foot structure in Argaman, which is huge. It's humongous. And so Adam Zertal identified uh, one of the footprint structures uh, at uh, the Tirza Valley or Wadi Farah Valley with the Elon More Gilgal in Deuteronomy 11. Um, he, uh, he couldn't find the Gilgal of Jericho, but he said to himself, if I am right, if my theory is right, if these structures are Gilgal, then I should find a footprint structure on the border between Judah and Benjamin. And guess what Adam Zertal does? He orders satellite footage from the area that we're speaking about. And he, you know, he, he carefully examines these satellite photos. And eventually he sees a footprint structure. Huh. Now, this is not a footprint structure that was found during the survey. You know, the survey is walking, walking, mapping, looking, you know, you're physically there. This is a site that was found by Professor Zertal just from he trying to prove his theory that, that the, these footprint structures are Gilgal. And he finds his last sixth footprint structure uh, near the community of Rimonim uh, in the southern Samaria, um, which he identified as that Gilgal that uh, was part of the border markings between Judah and Benjamin. And so this proved that Zertal's theory was right, and these oval-shaped, footprint structure-shaped uh, 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 structures are indeed the places where the Israelites worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason why the Israelites were sitting uh, in front of the Jabok Pass facing that place is because that was the founding story of their nation. Their patriarch, Jacob, was, was was, the, 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 his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. That was the, the, the most important story in the Bible that, that justified or made their, that created their identity. Hmm. Uh, Adam Zertal tried to understand why are the Israelites building their uh, structures in the shape of a footprint. So, um, you know, just like with the altar, he starts looking in other cultures, Babylon, Assyria, and, and then he goes to Egypt and uh, he starts, you know, understanding and learning about the importance of the symbol of the footprint in Egypt. And uh, he learned that the most important uh, figure in, your, in, in, in Egypt is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh uh, is not just a human being, he's mainly in the eyes of the Egyptians, a god. And if you examine the, the uh, pictures in the ancient temples of Egypt, what you see is, is, is mind-blowing. You see 
uh, Pharaoh's uh, legs on the captives of Cush and Canaan and, and, and the Hittites and the Philistines. Um, his legs over the enemies are a sign of conquest. They're a sign of, of control. Uh, if you look at the sandals of Pharaoh Tutankhamun, uh, you see that the sandals have the seven bows, seven bows, which are the, 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 the symbols of the nations of the world. So when Tutankhamun would walk on his sandals, the symbol was Egypt controlling those nations. Hmm, that's interesting. In other words, Adam Zertal is saying, why are the Israelites uh, building foot-shaped structures? It's because they're coming from Egypt. It's because that's the language that they speak. It's the culture that they're used to. So when they're coming into the land of Israel, with the sole purpose of conquering the land of Israel, the language they're using, the Egyptian language they're using, is that that we just spoke about. So when God says to Joshua, everywhere you will tread your foot will be yours, he's using Egyptian terminology. Yeah. The reason why the Israelites are building these structures in the shape of a foot is because that's their flag. Yeah. It's their Iwo Jima. Okay, they're saying yeah. this belongs to us. This belongs to the Israelites. It belongs to the God of the Israelites. Uh, Adam Zertal continued studying the Bible and looked for other meanings for the foot, the foot shape. And you see that the foot shape is not just uh, control over enemies or conquest. It's also the existence of the Israelite people. Uh, you see that uh, that exile in the Bible is described as um, and, uh, deporting the legs out of the land. The legs are the the symbol of of the the existence of the people in the land. Uh, the legs, the, the footprints, are a symbol of God's presence in the land. Uh, we read in Ezekiel that the temple is God's footstool. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, in other words, there's a lot of symbolism behind uh, the, the structure, uh, the, the shape of the, the foot. Um, and when you come to, to, uh, to, 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 to today and you ask an Israeli, uh, how do you say pilgrimage? How do you say pilgrimage in Hebrew? Um, you would say aliyah laregel. Aliyah uh, laregel means to go up to the foot. Huh. Now, we, we don't think why we're saying that. It's just an expression that we've been using for thousands of years uh, to describe going up to the holy place. But it literally means to go up to the foot. Huh. Now we understand why. Because that's the place, that was the holy place that the Israelites went to to worship God. Um, another th another thing that comes out for it. This is all linguistics. Um, yeah. How do you say how do you say feast in Hebrew? Uh, the word in Hebrew is chag. Chag uh, literally means to circle. Uh, we know when we just mentioned that many of the footprint structures have procession roads that go around the foot. So we can imagine 
the Israelites worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, circling the foot. And today we say Chag, which means to circle. Or we say happy feast, Chag Sameach, which means happy circling. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, this is, you know, we just, we started out our discussion by saying that archaeology is the science of the past. Uh, but, uh, but we learn a lot uh, about the present from these archaeological discoveries. Well, that is fascinating. Um, that gave me a lot to think about. So the first thing I thought of when you mentioned the whole foot and that is, would it have been big enough for, uh, for the Mishkan, for the tabernacle to have been built inside of the, the footprint? Or, I mean, is that something that was considered at all? Since the foot, the first thing I thought when you said footprint was the same thing, the earth is his footstool or whatever, um, to where they would symbolize the foot of God in the land. But I mean, there's no way to, to know that for sure, but are, is the dimensions big enough to where it could have fit within that footprint? Yes. Um, I would say that out of the six footprint structures, um, I think that, that four of them can host the uh, tabernacle and two cannot. Okay. Um, one of the things that Adam Zertal points out is that in Psalms 78, uh, there is a verse that talks about the, the tent or the tabernacle of Shiloh mm -hmm. uh, moving from Shiloh to Adam. Now, when you read the English translation, uh, Adam is not the name of a place, uh, but it's actually translated in English to a man or a human. Okay. Um, but but uh, what Adam Zertal said is that you understand, if you read the verse in Hebrew, you understand that Shiloh and Adam are not names of human beings. They are right. names of places. Right. And so the tabernacle, according to the book of Psalms, moved from uh, Shiloh to Adam. Huh. And Adam Zertal believed that one of the places that hosted the tabernacle after the Philistine destruction of Shiloh yeah. was one of those footprint structures. Interesting. Um, now, in Argaman, the footprint structure of Argaman has a an internal has an inner division uh, inside the footprint that uh, for many years we thought was the potential place for the tabernacle. It's what made the central area of the footprint holier than others. Mm -hmm. uh, but we just excavated the the uh, outer wall of that compound a few months ago and we discovered that the 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 inner compound is actually from a much later period from the roman period so um, the romans during the roman period that footprint structure was also used by the romans but the outer uh, outline wall of the structure is definitely iron age israelite uh, so you know there is no no division at, at, in Argaman that we can uh, theorize hosted the tabernacle. Uh, but you do understand from those footprint structures that it was very important for the Israelites to define areas of holiness. In other words, um, 
anybody standing outside of the footprint structure would be standing in a, an area that wasn't holy. Uh, if you stood inside the footprint structure, you were standing inside holy grounds. Mm -hmm. um, and there are certain areas inside the footprint that are holier than the holy. And we know this when we, when we look at the, te the temple, when we look at the tabernacle, we see that logic uh, repeating. Right. You have the holy, you have the holy of holies, and you have the outer area outside, which is less holy than the inside. So um, that also that's also something that uh, parallels the uh, biblical uh, viewpoint of the holy place. Wow, that's amazing. Well, we've only got a few minutes left here, but um, yeah, that that's some really good thought provoking stuff. I appreciate that. I was, um, I have to come see it sometime. I wanted to, of course, coronavirus has messed up a lot of things. So, but um, I really wanted to have, you know, to get over this fall or if nothing else next spring, but we'll see, we'll see what happens with the regulations, but Fascinating stuff. Um, anything else you want to add here in the final few minutes? Yes. Um, like, as you said, we are waiting for COVID to, to uh, evaporate. Yeah. And it will happen. It will happen one day. Uh, but uh, until it does, I invite people to uh, uh, be my friend on Facebook. Uh, I have a lot of interesting posts about archaeology and Bible. Yep. Um, actually, um, starting a, a new series of uh, posts about uh, the Israelite tribes that weren't in Egypt. Uh, this, this will come as a surprise for many people, but uh, the Bible actually has information about um, Israelite tribes um, that were, that some of them were, were not in their entire, the, the entire tribe wasn't in Egypt. Some of them were in Canaan, um, and I'm, I'm, I have a whole series of posts about that. It really sheds a lot of light on many mysteries in the Bible that, uh, um, that uh, now are solved by this theory. It's actually not my theory, uh, but I am uh, collecting it from many Bible scholars, forming it into one cohesive uh, um, story. So people are more than invited to join my Facebook page and um, befriend me and also uh, to uh, um, uh, gain, um, subscribe to my YouTube channel where I post my lectures. Yep. Uh, I also invite people to visit our um, uh, website, hiddenisrael.net, um, where my books, uh, my, my, my Bible teachings, and amazing drone videos of those sites uh, are available. And also the English books of Professor Adam Zertal about Joshua's altar um, and about uh, the footprint structures and another discovery uh, called the Sisera Secret about the discovery of the city of Sisera, the Canaanite um, commander. Uh, that fought against Deborah and Barak in the book of Judges. Yep. And as I said, recommend people purchase the survey volumes of the Manasseh Hill Country Survey. And last but not least, 
our two books uh, about Joshua's altar is called the Iron Age One Structure on Mount Eval by uh, Doctor of Archaeology Rolf Hawkins and uh, How Israel Became a People, uh, also by Ralph Hawkins, about the, uh, uh, the, Israeli, the Israelite uh, settlement of the land of Israel during the time of the book of Joshua and the judges. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. Oh my, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. And um, yeah, maybe we can do another episode sometime where we talk about some other good stuff. So I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to do this. Um, very good. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I think that's it. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I hope to uh, host you here in Israel and oh. take you to these, these amazing sites. Would be amazing. I've spent uh, spent a decent amount of time in the hill country as far as I've, I've toured that area. I know a lot of tourists don't, but a lot of that is because I'm uh, most times, even if I, there's, I mean, I've not gone on a organized tour. I have been a tour leader on two trips, but, or well, a couple more than that. But basically I always rent a car and just drive and look at the archaeology myself and spend the time researching. So I've you know, that's always, there's a few sites that need to be added every time I go, like, I'm, you know, want to get into this location or that location or this or that. So I'm always, I'm always looking for new, uh, new things. And I've seen the altar with binoculars from Gerzim. Mm -hmm. So with, from Gerzim, if you have binoculars, you can actually see the structure. Right. Uh, if you right. zoom way in, you can see it. So I've seen it that way, but I've never seen it, uh, standing right there so that is definitely something i want to do so you 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 saw it from mount kabir okay <laughs> from El, from from elon moray right uh the other side of the valley yeah yep okay let me tell you a funny story uh you know uh, uh rabbi jonathan khan mm -hmm. yep so i i took him on a tour of samaria uh, three or four years ago and uh, we were on Mount Kabir. And he told me, Aaron, can you take me to Joshua's altar? And I said, we, we don't have enough time to do it. But I have an idea. I pulled out my drone <laughs> and my, my, my VR goggles. And uh, Jonathan Khan sat on a bench oh, with my, my VR God. goggles. And I flew my drone on the, to the other side of the valley. We flew over Joshua's altar for like, I don't know, 30 or 40 seconds because my battery Batteries, was, you know, yeah. was, was almost going. <laughs> and, and, you know, when, when I got the drone back, he said, Aaron, I did not expect that. <laughs> That's amazing. So, That's yeah. awesome. Wow. All right. Thank you, sir, so much. My pleasure. And, uh, and again, hope to see you soon.